0: Isn't that great? Our ears have heard the story and our eyes have seen his glory. Wonderful. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here once again with Kathleen, my wife, and uh, we're just delighted to be among friends, among family. And so we're just delighted. Thank you so much for having us. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, and beginning to read at verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, or what has happened to me, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me to rest in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers, and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. God will bless the reading of His Holy Word. You'll notice verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers, or brethren, that what has happened to me, my circumstances, I want you to know what has happened to me. It was on the battlefields of Austria during World War One. A man lay badly wounded in no man's land, and if he was not quickly rescued, he would surely die. And a man in his foxhole sensed this, got out of the shoulder-deep trench, and inched his way to his fallen comrade. He had just hoisted the wounded man to his shoulders when he heard the explosion of an artillery shell. And he looked to see where it had exploded and noticed that it was exactly where he had been 10 to 15 minutes earlier. When my father told this story, he would say that God had miraculously kept him alive and gotten him out of the trenches and made his way to that man in order that he might live long enough to hear the gospel and be saved. No man's land turned out to be the safest place for my father. To have stayed in the trenches would have been the most dangerous of all places. The things that happened to me, my circumstances, and each of us here has his or her own unique story of the things that happened to them that are happening to you. And some of these stories have happy enough endings. Some still cause a lot of pain as we remember the circumstances, the things that have happened to us. And for some of us, the things that happen are still part of an ongoing story. And the final chapter has not yet been written. And I would like for you to think about the circumstances, the things that happened to you this past year, the disappointments, the things that happened that caused them, the pain, the rejection and the isolation, The hazards, the addictions, the rivalries, the power struggles, and on and on and on and on we go. The things that happen to us. Now, with all of these kinds of things in mind, I want you to look at verse 12 again. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that what has happened to me has had a great effect Right? The things that happened to me, the circumstances which surround me have had a wonderful effect. Paul discovered that the things that happened to him had a profound effect in him. And the things that happened in him had deeply affected the people around him. The things that happened to the Apostle Paul would have crushed most people. Would have frustrated most of us. Would have engendered despair in a lot of us. How do you fulfill your calling from jail? How do you do that? How do you fulfill your calling from a hospital bed? How do you do that? But something had happened to Paul in his jail cell. He made a great discovery. And the discovery was this. He really wasn't a prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And if he was a prisoner of Christ, how could he be a prisoner of Rome? And Paul had accepted his imprisonment He had accepted his chains as part of God's grace. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at verse 29. One of the great verses in the book of Philippians. Listen to this verse. For to you, you, It has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. The word granted there is the Greek word charizomai. And it means an act of grace. God in His grace allowed Paul to believe in Him. But not just that. He was granted the high privilege of suffering for Him. He was granted that. He was given that as a gift of God's grace. Now, when we discover that whatever the circumstances, the things that happen to us, when we discover that they have been given to us, granted to us, makes all the difference in the world. Now, what happened in him, his chains, were meant to restrict him. But they were in fact powerful in serving to advance the kingdom of God. In verse 13, we have the whole palace guard or the praetorium. The praetorium guard at that time consisted of 9,000 men. And the text says, plus everyone else, they came to know Paul's allegiance to Jesus Christ. They knew that Paul, there was something different about Paul. They saw Paul as a follower of Jesus Christ. All those 9,000 guards, plus everyone else. And besides that, the Christians were encouraged and emboldened in their witness. Paul discovered that the ability of God was far greater than his weaknesses and his circumstance. I want to ask you a question here. How many in your workplace know of your personal allegiance to Jesus Christ? How many in your neighborhood know that you belong to Jesus. I remember when we first moved to our home in Orinda at the time. The dear folks on our block wanted to have a block party. And so everybody was invited. And so we went up and uh, there they had their kegs of beer. But they had a little special table with soft drinks for Kathleen and me. Interesting. Interesting. I didn't know. I didn't even know they knew I was a Christian at that time. Because we had just moved in a little while ago, but they found out somehow. They found out. And the people in the neighborhood knew that we belonged to Jesus. Can you imagine that Christ can have that kind of influence in a person's life That the reputation of that little tent maker would spread the way it did. Quite a number of years ago now, I was in uh, the city of Shanghai, courtesy of Uncle Sam. I was aboard a uh, communications ship on the Wangpu River, Uh, part of a fleet of a, I was on the flagship. Uh, and I was an Admiral's aide at the time, a great job. And, uh, there was also a sailor aboard another flagship which far outranked us, was the cruiser St. Paul. And on that ship was this one sailor who had a reputation throughout the Fifth Fleet, that he belonged to Christ. I'll never forget it. Never forget it. You know, all of us have certain kinds of prison that our circumstances in life bring to us. Sometimes that prison is something that isolates. Sometimes it's something that frustrates. Something that restricts. Something that hurts. And I have to ask this question. What's happening In your prison. And how do you deal with adversity? And how do you get along? Sometimes some of us get together with others and we have a gripe session. You know, and uh, does this help? Probably not. It probably only increases our misery. But for Paul to tell the things that happened to him... They only served as an introduction to telling the people what happened inside of him. What happened to me had an impact within me. While Paul was in prison, with all these things going on, that is restricted, uncomfortable, isolated, the possibilities of losing his life, God was at work helping him to get some very special perspectives on the situation and the importance of perspective in spiritual experience. I can't stress that enough. And our passage for today is an exciting passage because it helps us to gain perspective in three important areas of life. We need perspective on the problems that confront all of us. The problems that we all have, we need to have a divine perspective on those. To be swamped by our problems and to be overwhelmed by our difficulties is very easy. All we need to do is to stand still and do nothing and the problems will do the rest. They'll tear us down. They'll overcome us. They'll defeat us. However, To get our overwhelming problems into perspectives is going to take a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And some people do seem to worship their problems more regularly and with greater fervor than worshiping the Lord. You know, I always have a tale of woe to tell. And sometimes we kind of glory in, in all the bad things that have happened. On the other hand, some people want to ignore the problems. And uh, they say, well, problems should not be part of the Christian's experience. To have a problem is unspiritual. And church leaders of all people should never have problems. All you elders here, you shouldn't have any problems. Right? Yeah. Right. Now... If we have these kinds of perspectives on our problems, we are likely to miss out on the joy of seeing our problems used to advance the kingdom of God. And I believe that the Lord no more wants us to worship our problems than He wants us to ignore them or minimize them and pretend we don't have them. So what is a good perspective? Paul acknowledged that God had allowed his imprisonment and therefore God was able to bring some good out of it. Paul knew God is his father and he knew therefore that as Jesus said, God gives good gifts to his children. Do we have that perspective? That God gives good gifts to his children no matter what the circumstances, no matter what has happened. I want you to look at verses 13 and 14. The way the gospel triumphed in Paul's pagan world was not in spite of his chains, but because of his chains. Verse 14 begins, Because of my chains... Let me read that. Verse 13, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. They have that perspective and they can preach the word of God without fear. Paul is saying my problems were useful in the advancement of the gospel and the encouragement of some Christian brothers. Paul is not saying I I want to be a sad sack for Christ. He's not saying that. Paul is saying that whatever happens, whatever the problems, I'm going to be faithful to the gospel of Christ. Paul is saying that the ability of God to work in me and through me is not hindered by my being chained to a slimy stone wall. Paul's problems are in proper perspective and whatever the prison, God can use that very imprisonment to advance His program, His purposes. Let's talk just a little bit about perspective number two. We need... Perspective not only with the problem of life, we need perspective on one of the more difficult things, and that is pain. The pains of life. Verse 18. But what does it matter? The important th- thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, yes, And I will continue to rejoice. And this is a big statement. It comes from a man who felt the pain of those who were envious of him. He felt the pain of those who were his rivals. He felt the pain of those who wanted to stir up trouble for him. He was in great pain because I think he felt that there were some who would, who would be pleased if Rome would cut his head off. Paul had come to terms with his hurts and his pain so completely that he can talk about rejoicing. Christ is preached. And because of this, I'm glad. I rejoice. And Paul had an overriding priority in his life and that was that the gospel was paramount. thanks the name of Christ and the work of Christ was the great priority. Now, Paul did not arrive at this point overnight. Whatever we think of Paul, he wasn't a porcelain saint put on the pedestal. The real Paul had a temper that got quite heated at times. Acts 15 tells us that Paul had a major or a sharp disagreement over a man called Mark because Mark had deserted him in a place called Pamphylia. The real Paul had feelings that got hurt and all of 2 Corinthians tells us this. The real Paul was a man who got depressed. Did you know that? In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 and 6, we read that when He came into Macedonia, this body of ours, He said, had no rest. But we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside and fears within. Now listen to verse 6. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus, Yes, Paul experienced depression. But he also experienced a man by the name of Titus. The real Paul wasn't a computerized theological machine that churned out inspired writings at the push of a button. The real Paul was a man who needed as much love as the next person. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. You know, you can't hurt a computer's feelings or grieve a theological concept. But you can't inflict pain on a person. And Paul was a real person. And the perspective that Paul discovered allowed him to say that he didn't really mind what had happened to him so long as nothing happened to stop the progress of the gospel. The message mattered more to Paul than life itself. Paul was hurt. He was pained. But Christ was proclaimed and that mattered more than anything and he therefore rejoiced. One of the remarkable men that I've had the privilege of knowing was one of our deacons at Valley Church in Moraga. He was an executive for good guys. And as an executive, he was privileged to work long hours every day, including Saturdays and very often Sundays. And we had many talks about his situation. He had little time with his family. His study of the scripture was hurt because he was too tired to study. He was missing too many of the church meetings. And one day he went to his boss and he told him he wanted to be demoted. Why? Because he had an overriding priority in his life. I'll take less money. I won't have the prestige, whatever that is, but I'll have more time with, with my family. I'll be able to go to church more frequently. And I say, I counted it a privilege of knowing such a man. What does it cost to share the gospel? What does it cost? To tell somebody that Jesus loves them. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Is there a cost? Is there a cost of embarrassment sometimes? Is there the cost of pride? Our our ego gets in the way. Is there the cost of time? Some money. Ridicule. How different would it be in our communities if we put our pain in the perspective of the primacy of the name of Christ? Verse 18. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And we need to ask ourselves, what is it that is important to us? What is it that has the greatest of priorities? Let's move on to perspective number three. And this is the ability to see the possibilities in our circumstances. Verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I want you to note that word deliverance. The word deliverance there does not mean that Paul is looking forward to being released from jail. What that deliverance is talking about is the kind of deliverance that he needed to experience while in prison. He needed a deliverance from fear. Fear. In prison. He needed deliverance from frustration in prison. He needed deliverance from self-pity while in prison. He needed deliverance from the doubt, perhaps, that God loved him and gave him this trial that he couldn't handle. And as the days followed... Each other in monotonous, relentless order for Paul, I feel certain that he knew fear and prostration. And Paul didn't need deliverance from the fear of, from the temptation of stealing. You know, what are you going to steal? In a cell, very small cell, probably. He probably didn't need deliverance from gluttony. On his prison rations. But he did need deliverance from self pity. And Paul's prison gave him the opportunity to experience new areas of deliverance because it led him to new areas of need in his life. Where do you folks need deliverance? Is it from fear? Is it from a judgmental spirit? Do we need to be delivered from apathy? Do we need to be delivered from self-pity? In his prison, Paul had the opportunity to put the sufficiency of Christ into perspective. Is Christ enough? If you're in prison, is Christ enough on a demanding job? Is Christ enough in school, in your marriage? Verse 21 For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. And I believe he meant by this that Christ was not only his reason for living, but Christ was also his resource for living. Reason and resource come together in Christ. And this becomes the focal point of Paul's existence. You know, it's not uncommon to find people without a reason for living. They simply exist until they can bear it no longer or they fill their empty hopelessness with empty pursuits. Other people claim to have a reason to live but somehow they are sadly disappointed or strangely empty. But not so Paul. Both reason and resource Come together in Christ for him. If Paul lived, this meant fruitful and meaningful labor. If he died, he would go to be with Christ. Either way, he's a winner. Living for Paul was not necessarily the greatest good. And dying was not the ultimate tragedy Either way, Paul rejoiced. We went to a doctor's office on Friday and uh, while we were waiting for the elevator there was a, a man and uh, we were the elevator door open, and somebody said, going up. And uh, Kathleen said to the man, well, yes, we're, we're going to be going up one of these days. And uh, the man said, uh, well, I hope it's not too soon. (laughs) Made you wonder. Made you wonder. The things that happened to me. Nobody knew better than Paul that the things that happened in him were not solely happening for his benefit. They were happening so that, the thing, so that things would happen through him. And one of the initial results of his imprisonment is what Paul calls the advance of the gospel in verse 12. What are some of the things that happened through Paul? New areas were opened up for Paul. The whole praetorian guard. And if history says, tells us correctly, there were a number of Roman senators that came to know Jesus Christ. What might have happened if Paul had not gone to prison? I don't know. But I do know what did happen when he went to prison. And uh, his witness was not stopped or hindered, regardless of the circumstances. Another thing that happened, new people were mobilized. The timid were encouraged And new victories were won. Verse 20, Christ was exalted in Paul's body. So how may we deal with the things that happen to us? I think we've covered some of these already. Just let me review. We need to keep our problems in perspective. We need to bring our pain in perspective. And I suspect everyone here has had a certain amount of pain in their life. We need to see the possibilities in perspective. And we need to ask ourselves, what is God teaching me through this trial? How can He use this pain to advance His kingdom? I know that's, those were some of the questions that Kathleen asked herself following her stroke. What is God teaching me? What do I need to learn out of this experience? What do I need to understand from this circumstance, from what has happened to me? I think Paul gives us a fresh look at the possibilities regardless of what has happened, regardless of the circumstances, Paul gives us a good fresh look at that again. And uh, may the Lord help us all as we go through those circumstances of life, some of which we relish and some of which are difficult, very difficult. And uh, we know some of those. And I suspect you do too. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Father in heaven. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the life of this man, Paul. And Father, there have been others who have followed in his steps very closely. And who continue to teach us. And who continue to be good examples for us, notwithstanding the circumstances of life, which often are unpleasant. Father, we pray that you bless every person here this morning and and lead them gently and kindly through their circumstances, should they be difficult. May your name be honored and glorified. May the gospel be proclaimed. May Jesus Christ be exalted. And Father, we, His children, blessed by Your presence in our lives. We give You thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen.